You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Jesus' teaching, Jesus' words that we're going to look at today are among some of the most confronting words we can read in all of Scripture. In fact, they are so confronting that the tendency for many of us, myself included, is to kind of either disregard or even overlook these kind of words that Jesus says. We read Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, and if we really allow the words to not just go here and then quickly out, but to really sink deep within our hearts and hit home, we can feel rather disturbed. We can feel pretty unsettled. Jesus' words, they're pretty tough to stomach, that's for sure. So what are these words of Jesus that I'm talking about? Well, these ones that are found, as I said, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23 in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Let's read them together. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those are some tough, confronting and sobering words for any of us to hear, aren't they? But, and here's the thing, God's heart is always to give warnings for our benefit, for our good. These are warnings that all of us would be super wise to to hear, to listen to, to consider, and then to heed as we seek to be people, citizens of God's kingdom and follow him with everything we've got with all our lives. How about we just pray and invite Holy Spirit right now to really speak to us through this challenging passage of scripture, because isn't it a beautiful thing that God speaks to us through the passages that are really easy to stomach? And God also wants to speak to us through those that are a little bit more difficult to take. But as we'll see today, are beautiful passages to really encourage us to press on and stick true to Jesus Christ. So how about we pray together today? Loving God, we thank you so much that you love us enough to warn us. You love us enough to deliver home truths that all of us need to hear, God. And so we pray today that as we look at this warning that you provide in your beautiful Sermon on the Mount, Lord, that we, it would not fall on deaf ears, that we would not harden our hearts or we'd not even out of fear sort of just disregard your words, but we would allow them to actually hit home so that we could do any heart work that might be necessary so that we can be sure and we can be firmly planted on you, Jesus, and walking in the light as you are in the light. So Jesus, would you just guide us this morning, we pray, And we just give you all the glory, God, and thanks for the gift that your word is to us. We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Last week, we took a look at Jesus' second of four warnings in the concluding part of his Sermon on the Mount, where he warned us, he encouraged us to be discerning, to be wise, to be careful, and to watch out for false prophets, wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing. And Jesus warns us to be on guard and and watch out for these imposters, these imposter prophets. 
so that we don't deviate from the road that leads to life and follow after another gospel altogether or just a, even just a slightly distorted gospel. It can get us so far off track. And that was the warning that we looked at last week. And in today's passage, Jesus gives us a third warning about another dangerous enemy we face, another enemy that can, if we're not careful, if we're not on guard, if we don't heed Jesus' advice, can actually take us away from God and ultimately away from entering his kingdom for eternity. So what is this dangerous enemy that Jesus outlines in this third warning? It's the enemy of self-deception. Jesus warns us that we can be led astray if we deceive ourselves when it comes to our spiritual state and our right standing with God. So what is this self-deception that Jesus is alluding to? He's, he's illustrating, he's unpacking in this particular passage. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones explains really well what this is and the nature of this self-deception in his book, Studies, in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he says. The point of Jesus' teaching is to open our eyes again to the terrible danger of self-deception and self-delusion. The general principle behind the teaching is that self-deception with regard to the soul and its relationship to God is generally due to our relying upon false evidences of salvation. We are susceptible to deceiving ourselves when it comes to our standing with God and we are susceptible to relying on false evidences for our salvation. You know, that's been a real theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount, hasn't it? In Jesus' sermon, Jesus regularly takes the time to contrast the self-righteousness that we see in terms of all the things from um, the people who, who pray and things to be seen by others, for example, the self-righteousness, as opposed to the true righteousness, what true righteousness looks like for Jesus' followers. And this is a teaching that he brings right before all of us in, in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. And he's, you know, he's saying we can all too easily get deceived. We can deceive ourselves when it comes to the state of our soul and our standing with God. Now, I want to be really clear. I don't say this. I don't share this. We don't open up God's word to kind of strike fear into your hearts and cause you to question your salvation. That is not at all my heart today, and that is not at all what God wants us to learn through this passage. That's not what I'm trying to do through sharing Jesus' words with us today. I'm actually sharing these words with us today to encourage each of us, to encourage us to kind of take stock, to do some honest heart evaluation so that you know, so that you know, you know, you know that you are in the faith, so that you know that you are truly saved and will, guaranteed, you will enter into heaven for eternity with God one day. That's why. I'm sharing what I'm sharing today. I'm encouraging all of us to do the kind of work that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, the work of examining ourselves to see whether we are in the faith, testing ourselves. Jesus shares these warnings, these tests, if you like, for our benefit, for our good. 
to ensure that we stick on the right path when it comes to our faith. And for us to actually do that and to be able to evaluate that where we're at and if we are still on that right path, we need to set aside regular times for reflection, for considering where we are at right now at this point in time in terms of our standing with God, our relationship with God, to ensure that we're still on the right path and we're not either being deceived by others like we looked at last week or, as Jesus suggests here in this passage, deceiving ourselves when it comes to our standing with God and relying on false evidences of our salvation. Because after all, as we see, there's a lot at stake here. We don't want to be like those people that Jesus describes in this passage, do we? We don't want to be in their shoes. So much is at stake, not only for this life, but also for the eternal life to come. And we need to take seriously Jesus' warnings here. And he is warning us for our good. Hear that today. Jesus warning us here for our good. All of us want to stick firm on the road that leads to life. And we want to faithfully follow Jesus for all our days. And we want to follow him. And then one day, one day when we stand before him on judgment day. And because that's the scene that Jesus is actually painting here through this story that he gives. We want to be people who hear those beautiful words, those beautiful words from Matthew 25, verse 34, directed straight to us. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And the good news is that we can be sure that we will hear these words if we choose to follow Jesus and heed his warnings, like those in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. So what warnings or tests does Jesus give us in today's passage to ensure that we stay on track and are not relying on false evidences of salvation? Well, the first I see is this. Jesus warns us that we can get deceived, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that our beliefs about him will ultimately justify us before God. In verse 21, Jesus warns us that merely acknowledging him for who he is will not guarantee anyone, will not guarantee anyone entry into his eternal kingdom. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I've said it a few times in this Sermon on the Mount series. It's one thing to acknowledge Jesus as who he is. You know, it's one thing to acknowledge him by the right term. The, the term here, the word Lord here, is the right word to use to refer to Jesus. The word Lord here that Jesus used is the Greek word kyrios, a word that many people would often use as a substitute when we're referring to Yahweh or Jehovah. So it's the right title. These people in this story, in this, in this parable that Jesus tells, are referring to him by his correct term. In fact, many scholars say that the fact that these people say it twice, not just like a throwaway Lord, but Lord, Lord, it's a sign that they're very genuine in their acknowledgement. They're not flippant 
They're quite genuine. They, they're not just seeing Jesus as this good teacher, but as Lord. But Jesus says that holding true beliefs about him are not enough. Because after all, if you think about it, James had a bit to say about this, and he wrote about it in James chapter 2, verse 19. He says this, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You know, believing that God is God, that Jesus is who he says he is, is one thing. But even the demons believe and acknowledge that Jesus is God. You know, Jesus is warning us that our beliefs about who he is won't ultimately justify us before his Father. And so then, maybe like me, I've thought this way in the past too. Maybe this is something that you kind of think as well. We kind of go, well, okay, beliefs, sure. It's, a, it's about actions. That's it. I've got it. It's about doing. James also writes, we know about how faith without works is dead. It's no good. Good for nothing. So we can't just believe that Jesus is Lord. We have to act as well, act like he's Lord and give ourselves and serve others and all this sort of thing. This is how these people in this story that Jesus is telling have deceived themselves. Ah, okay, got it, cool. And in some ways, sure, yeah, like, like we've explored before, our faith does need to be accompanied by works to be genuine. But Jesus here actually warns us of the other trap that we can fall into in terms of works. Jesus warns us that not only can we deceive ourselves into thinking that our beliefs about him will ultimately justify us before God, but we can also deceive ourselves into thinking that our actions for him are what will ultimately justify us before God. Verses 22 to 23, as I said before, they're referring to a scene where people are standing before God in heaven, before God in the throne room, giving an account for their lives, the day of judgment. And here's how Jesus speaks of people who seek to justify themselves by their actions. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The people Jesus is speaking of here, by their account, the account that they're actually giving, they're, they're trying to justify themselves before God they, they did, these people, they did all the super spiritual things. They walked the walk, so to speak. They didn't sit back. They didn't coast through life. They took action in Jesus' name and did seemingly great and effective works for his kingdom. These people prophesied. They cast demons out of people. They did mighty works in his name. The problem was, and many biblical scholars suggest that this is how to interpret this particular passage. They, the problem was that these people did these things likely to be seen by others. They did these outward things to either be seen by others or to seek to justify themselves before God. God, look at all these things I'm doing for you. Surely you're pleased with me now. I'm right with you because of what I do. They did these works potentially for the attention of others and in doing so, they didn't actually glorify God. 
These people that Jesus describes, they thought that they were right with God because they did all the right things. But despite all of their good works, and I believe that they actually did the good works that they claimed to do, because after all, they're standing there and they're not getting a rebuke for lying about their lives, are they? They're actually, it's, it's heard, it's received. This is a true account of what they have actually done. And Jesus responds to them, despite all their good works, Jesus responds to them by saying in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow, that is not the kind of words. They're not the words that any of us would want to hear when we're standing before God's throne, are they? Now, here's the thing. Jesus has been bringing across many important truths throughout the course of his Sermon on the Mount. And one of the key ones he brings home for us again today through this passage. We can't justify ourselves before God. We can't. Nothing we could ever do or say will ever justify us before God. No acts of self-righteousness can make us right with God. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah reminds us of this in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 when he says this, All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even our best acts, even those done with the purest of hearts, won't justify us before God. Holding correct theological beliefs, mental assent that Jesus is Lord, That won't save us either. Nothing we can do or say or think will save us. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, period. We are righteous, as I shared in a message a little while ago called You Are Righteous. We are righteous through nothing that in and of ourselves, nothing at all that we could possibly do or bring but through the grace of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And this is a foundational spiritual truth that Jesus draws out in this passage. When we understand our true standing with God, when we appreciate that our salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we're free. We are free to live as citizens in his kingdom. When we understand that we are saved by grace alone as we work out our faith with fear and trembling, as the Bible calls us to, we will, with Holy Spirit's help, develop a deep longing and desire to serve God. We will, as Jesus says in verse 21, find ourselves longing to do the will of his Father in heaven. When we understand that we are saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ, as we work out our faith with fear and trembling, we will, with Holy Spirit's help, cultivate open hearts and open postures before our mighty God. And will, as Jesus suggests in verse 23, we will be able to be truly known by God. When we understand this, when we understand these things mentally, sure, but most importantly, deep within, deep within our spirits, deep within our hearts, 
we will be truly free and we will grow. We will actually grow and develop the fruit of the Spirit, Christ-like character in our lives as daughters and sons of God as we do that, when we understand that. That is the key to Christian flourishing and growth. Greg Morse, a writer with Desiring God, he explains the, the beautiful effects of Jesus' saving faith so beautifully. I just want to share it with you now. He says this, While requiring us to think, true doctrine matters, saving faith is not merely about thinking. While requiring us to feel, we must love the Lord with all our hearts. It does not terminate in our passions. While affording great displays of power and wonders, it calls for private fruits of a holy life to corroborate public showings. It produces men, women and children who, in union with Jesus and given new hearts, happily do the will of God with a new childlike aim to please him. May we all heed Jesus' warnings in Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23, and grow as people who are humble and confident in their salvation, in the knowledge that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, that we are justified through Christ alone. And may we all worship God alone as we live our lives to please him and him alone. May this be true for all of us. Let's pray that that would be so for every single one of us. Loving God, we just want to praise you. We thank you, Lord, that your heart is always to see us all choose to live life in relationship with you. And we thank you, Jesus, that whilst this Christian walk isn't easy, Lord, we have you, your help through Holy Spirit to help us to sit with passages like this, to test ourselves, to do some honest heart evaluation so that, Lord, we can grow so that we can be free, so that we cannot get caught in the traps of trying to justify ourselves before you or thinking that, well, if we just believe things, then that's enough, Lord. Help us, God, to be people who are free in the good news so that, Lord, we would be free to serve you and bless you, not out of obligation, but out of an overflow of grateful hearts who understand that we are saved through by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Thank you, Jesus, that you are so faithful and so good. And we pray, Lord, that you would grow us as Christian people. And if we're not Christians yet, Lord, that you would draw us to yourself. So, Lord, we can grow to be more like you and share your love with other people. We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.